0: As neurologists and psychiatrists, we both deal with the brain. We have the same board administering our exams, the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. We often prescribe the same medications. Neurologists diagnose depression, psychiatrists diagnose dementia. We have subspecialties called neuropsychiatry and behavioral neurology, so why don't we just merge into one specialty? Welcome to our special series on psychiatry and neurology. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Ron Pies. Dr. Pies is professor of psychiatry and lecturer on bioethics and humanities at SUNY Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York. He is also clinical professor of psychiatry at Tufts School of Medicine in Boston and editor-in-chief of the Psychiatric Times. Ron is the author of several books ranging from psychopharmacology to poetry to philosophy. Welcome to Reach MD.
1: Thanks very much, Dr. Ron. Good to be here.
0: Now, Dr. Pies, are you ready to become a neurologist yet? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm content to stay where I am, Leslie, though some of my best friends are neurologists. But my interest really is as a psychiatrist who believes that neuropsychiatry is a very important beginning in integrating these fields.
0: Now, you've written a lot about why psychiatry and neurology cannot merge. Tell us more about your views on this.
1: Well, actually, my belief, Leslie, is that the two fields can't simply merge, not that they can't be unified in the long run. What I've tried to show in an editorial that I wrote on this subject was that merging psychiatry and neurology is not like merging General Motors with Ford, you can't just kind of get the companies together. It would really require a whole new vocabulary to pull off the kind of merger that uh, we're talking about between these two fields. And that's because really psychiatry and neurology have what I call different narratives about human diseases. You know, for most neurologists, the problems that they deal with day by day are explained in terms of Interrupted brain circuits, infarcted brain tissue, disconnections between brain regions, and so on. Now, psychiatrists do talk about these things, but we also usually see a kind of subtext in many neuropsychiatric diseases. So we talk about defense mechanisms, like repression. We talk about unconscious impulses. We talk about distorted cognitions, dysfunctional relationships. We talk about the patient's existential fears. Now, these two narratives are not incompatible, and in fact, I I think they're actually complementary. Both may be true in the same patient. So, for example, a, a patient might suffer a stroke in the basal ganglia and become severely depressed. Now, most likely, the stroke has interrupted certain neurotransmitter pathways or frontal subcortical circuits. But the stroke may also have left the patient feeling hopeless or helpless. It may have left him or her wondering if life has any real meaning or if he is still a worthwhile person. Now, most good sensitive neurologists know all this. So on a clinical level, they may make the same moves that a psychiatrist would make. That is, they might refer the depressed post-stroke patient for psychotherapy. But the vocabulary of neurology hasn't really caught up with those intuitive perceptions. On the other hand, uh, neuropsychiatry is, I think, an emerging discipline that really does try to take those issues into account, at least in theory. And I think neuropsychiatry is slowly developing a vocabulary that does try to unify uh, brain and mind.
0: Ron, you're on faculty at two different medical schools. Do you find, however, that today's psychiatric residents are being trained perhaps more in the direction of neurology than in the direction, at least in the past, that psychiatry came from?
1: Well, I think that the trend in residency training, uh, Leslie, has been to steer more toward the biological side of the so-called biopsychosocial model and away, unfortunately, I would say, away from psychosocial approach. And and I think that that's a real problem, because I think that it really tears the field in two. So unfortunately, a lot of programs, I think, are neglecting the psychotherapeutic side of things and perhaps emphasizing too much the hardwiring and the pharmacology. Mm
0: -hmm. Isn't the fear there that somehow psychiatrists are not psychologists and leave the therapy to the psychologists?
1: I think that a lot of forces are driving the field in that direction, certainly in managed care settings. You know, the psychiatrists are told that they need to do these 15-minute med checks and leave the psychotherapy to the social workers and psychologists. Even though there is evidence, in fact, my colleague and friend, Dr. Montash Dewan, who is the chairman at Upstate, has done research showing that A more efficient model and a more cost-effective model is actually (laughs) that the psychiatrist does the whole deal and does an integrated kind of psychopharmacology and psychotherapy, and that that actually is more cost-effective in the long run than farming out the psychotherapy. So unfortunately, I think there are a lot of forces that are at work that kind of tear us asunder.
0: For those who are just tuning in, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is the author of an award-winning essay on the future of psychiatry, Dr. Ron Pies, We are discussing the convergence of psychiatry and neurology. Now, Ron, you've proposed a new way to think about our practice in the future and even coined a new word to describe it. Tell us about that.
1: The word that I coined is encephiatrics, which is a little bit clunky, but the term literally means brain healing. And it really begins with the premise that everything that goes on in what we call our mental or psychological lives is nothing over and above the activities of the brain. So it begins with a kind of single substance view of things rather than splitting the world into mind and body. But in cephiatrics, Leslie also says that there are many ways of affecting the brain, uh, either for good or ill. So you can prime the neurons with uh, medications that boost serotonin, or you can sit down uh, with the patient and talk to him or her. So talk therapy, it turns out, uh, also has important effects on brain function, and this has been demonstrated in several studies using uh, positron emission tomography, looking at the effect of psychotherapy on the brain. We know that this is not just a placebo, that it really does affect uh, brain function. So in psychiatrics, Leslie really sees all forms of biological, psychological, and social treatments as affecting the brain in some fashion. There's no uh, mind-body split, as Descartes envisioned.
0: Maybe we'll be neurologic and psychiatric subspecialties of encephiatrics.
1: Well, my hope is that we will eventually have people who are trained in encephiatrics to really do the whole deal, to really see the brain as kind of the final common pathway for every kind of input that affects the brain, and that includes what we now call psychosocial inputs, biological inputs, and it does impose a big burden on people who will become encephiatricians, if you will. That is, we really have to know all of the ways in which the brain is affected and all of the ways in which the brain can be healed, and that that means integrating biological and psychotherapeutic approaches hopefully uh, within the same discipline and within the same clinicians.
0: Well, that makes sense. So to lump them together instead of split them apart. Absolutely. Now, Ron, much of our audience is not in psychiatry nor in neurology and in primary care. Does this discussion have any meaning to them?
1: I think it does. You know, the primary care practitioner, when he or she sees a patient with depression, for example, is under a lot of pressure to do something quickly and a lot of pressure to write out that prescription. Unfortunately, I think a lot of patients get short shrift in the other dimensions of care that that we're talking about, and that's understandable given the pressures that most PCPs and a lot of psychiatrists are now under. I do think that this model of encephiatrics really means that we need to look at our patients holistically and begin to address not only their medical and biological needs, but also their psychosocial, their spiritual needs, and I think that the treatment really needs to integrate all of those aspects. So the PCP primary care practitioner seeing a uh, a depressed patient needs to look at those other areas before or in addition to uh, writing that prescription.
0: But do you think realistically that can be done given the time constraints that they're under?
1: It's very, very hard, and there's no question that you can't do that kind of integrated approach in 15 minutes. It's just not possible. It used to take me 15 minutes just to get some of my patients to talk. You know, unfortunately, it may mean referring the patient for psychotherapy. I say unfortunate in the sense that it's not all taking place under one roof, but certainly it's better that the person be referred to a psychologist, social worker, or a psychiatrist to get that psychosocial piece taken care of than not doing so. I do think that there's a role for Counseling and being sensitive to the patient's spiritual and emotional needs, even within the context of uh, primary care practice. And I think the best uh, primary care practitioners have always done that.
0: Hopefully someday there will be the, <laughs> let me see if I can get it straight, encephiatrician to refer to.
1: I hope that things will evolve in, in that way. People who are really specialists in brain healing, where healing doesn't mean simply prescribing a medication, but really means helping people deal with the emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of their lives. It's a tall order, and I realize that it's a little idealistic, but I'm hoping that that's where the field is headed.
0: And how can we get the direction, the sea change that we need in training programs to make that happen?
1: Well, I think we need to start with residency training directors and counteract the tendency that I mentioned uh, earlier, where residency training programs have very heavily emphasized psychopharmacology and perhaps neurology to the exclusion of these other issues. Uh, There's a role for teaching, for example, about the importance of patients' spiritual beliefs. That doesn't mean we have to endorse every kind of religious view that we come across, but we do need to be sensitive to how important those issues are for many of our patients there's a role for uh, bringing poetry and music and other kinds of therapies into the educational uh, domain of of our residents and i don't think
0: that that's really being done thank you so much for being on the show today ron
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Leslie.
0: We have been discussing what the future holds for psychiatry and neurology with a guest who is probably the most qualified I can think of to discuss these issues, Dr. Ron Pies. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.